Welcome, everybody, to Fatal Error. I'm Krista Zombak. And I'm Sarush Kamu. And uh, this week, Sarush is in Japan for the uh, Tri-Swift Tri Japan Conference. And so, uh, just like we did a couple episodes ago with the uh, Playgrounds Conference episode from Australia, I thought that I would uh, just interview Sarush about his travels, about, uh, about Tokyo, about Japan, and about this conference. Hopefully, this is interesting. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the conference was really cool, and Japan is a crazy place. So I'm sure we'll dive into it. And yeah, cool. Uh, do you, do you want to start with uh, Do you want to start with uh, your impressions of of Japan of Tokyo? Have you been to Japan before? No. So this is my first time in Japan. Um, I was very nervous because there's like a language barrier, and there is uh, like I also thought there would be kind of a food barrier, but it turns out both of those things are just not that big of a deal. Really? Um, okay. I would, yeah. I would be like traveling to Japan. I would be really nervous, uh, because of the, what I would perceive as a language barrier just from the outset. So, uh, what, what was your experience there like? Yeah. So I still speak very little Japanese. I only know a couple of words here and there just to kind of get around. Um, like truly, I mean a couple of words, like less than 10 and, but everybody here either speaks English or you can kind of just hand sign and like kind of, kind of fumble your way through. And there's tons of American tourists, um, in Tokyo in particular. And right now I'm in Kyoto and, um, there's tons of American tourists. So it's really, uh, there's like, you know, the stuff we're doing is, is touristy and, and there is facility. There's like English menus. There's pictures on the menus. There's also this other thing we've been learning about, um, called sampuru, which is like sample food. So they will hmm. basically create these 3d versions of the food and put them in a glass case outside. So you can like look at the food and see if you like it. And we were like trying to figure out how they make it. And somebody was said it was 3d printed. And I thought it was like plasticized food, but it's actually like wax that is handmade. And like each grain of rice is handmade and then like glued together to look like the picture that the restaurant sends them. So there's like this village in the mountains that like Whoa. does all of this, like sample food stuff. Like they make it all. And, Interesting. Um, yeah, so like like stuff like that. So th there's there's a lot of facility for if you're kind of a foreigner traveling in in Japan. Cool. Uh, that's that's really awesome. That's yeah. that's good to know. Huh. I think it's one of the more accessible like uh, East Asian countries hmm. in terms of like language and in terms of food and everything. Like it's pretty easy. Cool. That's yeah. that's good to know. So if you do want to come, I don't think you should let like uh, food and language and stuff like that stop you. Like I was very nervous, but it's it's good. Cool. That's really good to know. Yeah, man. So uh, you you mentioned that you're in Kyoto now, but uh, the conference itself was in Tokyo, right? Right. So we were in Tokyo for a couple of days, and then took the bullet train to to Kyoto. And um, cool. Yeah. So uh, Tokyo is cool. We ate a lot of food there, and um, there's like a really wide variety. Like I kind of thought it would be like sushi and ramen, but there's a very wide variety of food. Um, it's a huge city. I mean, in terms of land area, it's absolutely massive, way bigger than New York. When you like put them, you know, land area, like compare the maps, uh, huh. like bigger than London, like massive. How does it compare in terms of population? Like, is it as dense uh, and just it's bigger? Density, I don't know about, but it is one of the most populated cities in the world, depending on how you count, because there's all kinds of weird things, right? Um, yeah. But it's like, if it, there are some measures by which it's the biggest city in the world. Awesome. Cool. It's crazy how big it is um rail infrastructure is great food is super super good one cool little activity that we did is there's a company that does basically mario kart so you put on kind of mario uni uniforms 
Um, they have like little costumes and you can put them on and they give you a go-kart and there's like a path through Tokyo that you get to take. And you basically get to drive a go-kart on the streets of Tokyo. And it's so cool. What? Yeah, it's completely <laughs> bananas. So they take you to like Tokyo Tower, which is the thing that kind of looks like the Eiffel Tower, but red. They take you to, there's apparently a Statue of Liberty in, Tio- uh, in Tokyo. So they take you there. They take you across something called the Rainbow Bridge, which I think is supposed to be kind of also a nod to you know, in, in Mario Kart, you have Rainbow Road. Mm-hmm. And so you get to do all this stuff, and it's like a two-and-a-half-hour go-kart ride, and it is so much fun. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> There's, like, all these really funny things they do to, like, make sure they don't infringe, infringe trademarks and copyrights and stuff, but it's really cool. <laughs> it's very cool. <laughs> yeah. That's great, man. Yeah, so Tokyo is amazing, um, and the conference is uh, so the conference is set in a different place than the than the recommended hotel, and so they're kind of different neighborhoods. And the reason, so Natasha, um, that uh, Natasha Murashev, you might know her as like Natasha the robot, uh, organizes this conference. And so one of the reasons that she wanted the like primary hotel to be farther from the like uh, venue for the for the conference is so that you kind of have to immerse yourself a little bit into the culture of the city. So you have to ride the subway to get to the venue you have to figure out how to buy a subway card you have to like do all that stuff and like um part of the goal is to like get you to like kind of dive into into the culture of the city and like experience it firsthand the same way like you you take a commute to work in the same way that many like japanese people take commutes to work cool that's a really cool idea it is and it was nice it like it is tough the first time you do it but like you figure it out and then you get really good at it and you're like oh yeah i've been here forever i've been here for like a week (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you feel super comfortable. And the other cool thing is the Metro card, uh, works like the same card that works in Tokyo works in Kyoto as well. So that's cool too. There's just like the rail infrastructure is so good. Like we could maybe whole, start a whole other podcast about trains and we could talk about all the ridiculous oh, cool train awesome. stuff here. Yeah. We'll start a spin off the, uh, a- accidental train podcast. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Accidental regional transit podcast. <laughs> I would listen to the crap out of that. <laughs> So the first thing that you notice about the conference is that it is uh, 700 people. So it's really big. Uh, and uh, like, I think except, excepting WWDC, I've never been to a conference that's, that's that big. Usually they're in the 200, 300 range. Um, yeah. So that part of it was super, super interesting. So there was a lot of people to meet. There was also live translation of all the talks. So there were three or four Japanese speakers. And so the translators would translate their talks to English. And then there was also uh, the majority of the speakers spoke English. And um, their talks would be translated into Japanese. Uh, and my understanding is a majority of the attendants, uh, attendees were also um, Japanese. So it was like, like the primary way that my talk, for example, was going to be consumed was, was in Japanese. And so I kind of optimized the way I gave my talk to make sure that the translators could translate it effectively into Japanese. Hmm. What sorts of things do you take into account when you're like, when you're planning for that, when you're optimizing for that? So the big one is you just have to move slowly. They, the, the translators were very, very professional. They were very good at their jobs. So they got a copy of our transcript ahead of time. They got a copy of our slides ahead of time. They learned all the like terms of art that we used and they figured out like which things they should translate into Japanese and like sequence, like lowercase s could be a word, like a sequence of things, but also capital S, it's a protocol. And so by, for that mm-hmm. one, you have to refer to it sort of with the English name. Um, since that's how the code will be typed. So, um, there's definitely like, so they had to figure all that stuff out ahead of time. And then before your talk, they kind of come up to you and they, they pull your side into a room and they work with you to like say, Hey, what's going on here? And what are you going to do for that? And how are you going to handle this part? And, um, and you kind of can tell them like, Hey, this word actually you should, you should 
um, translate into um, English, and you should make sure this stays like with you know English pronunciation. And then this one, this these words are just words that can be translated to Japanese. So they do that as well. And um, what I ended up doing was I cut uh, several of my slides. I basically cut all the stuff about random access collection, and I cut out one of the examples from bidirectional collection. And so cutting that material and then moving slowly, and I think I had like five more minutes in Japan, meant that I like basically. I fit well into the time slot. And it's funny, I was talking really slowly and I went to the translator afterward and I was like, so how did I do? Was I slow enough? She was like, no, you were not slow enough. <laughs> so it's definitely, yeah. it's definitely weird to, to write a talk like that. Like there's a joke in there, you know, I talk about linked lists cause that's kind of a natural fit for sequences. And there's a joke in there about like, oh, if you, you know, um, know your, if you've been setting up for your interviews, like, you know what a linked list is. And the joke about interviews is very, like, it's cultural, it's very specific, and it kind of, um, yeah. you need a couple of levels to to understand it. And so, like, I got a couple of chuckles from the audience, but the joke, like, definitely didn't land the same way it landed in uh, in Australia. And it's also on time delay. Um, so the, the translators have to hear your words and then speak your words back, so it's, like, five seconds late. Yeah, that, and so, um, that must be tricky. Right. Delivering, delivering jokes is a lot harder to do. Um, hmm. so yeah, there's cultural components to it. There's, there's linguistic components to it. There's, there's quite a bit going on with the translation, but the translators were really, really professional. They did a super good job. So you gave the same talk at, uh, at Tri Swift in Tokyo as you did in uh, Australia, right? That's right. Yeah. I just cut a couple of things out, but for the most part, kept it pretty much the same. So yeah. it'll be boring for our listeners if we, if we dive into, uh, the same discussion of sequences yeah. and collections. I think that's, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, if they <laughs> want to hear that stuff, uh, I don't know, remember what number episode it was? 18? Uh, it was episode 19. The, uh, 19. And they can listen to our, um, episode about playgrounds and we talk a little bit about sequence and collection there. So uh, I guess we don't have to cover your talk. Uh, what other talks, uh, did you, did you attend and did you find really interesting at uh, at this conference yeah for sure so there were uh quite a few talks there were i think um, 22 26 talks so quite a few speakers there were a couple of really interesting ones uh one the one i liked the best was um nate cook's talk and um people might know nate cook as he has his username is eight n's in a row like n n n n n and it's like n eight nate uh, and Nate is super smart, and he uh, does a really good job of breaking this stuff down. And so he talked about pointers, and his topic was, or his talk was called Swift's Pointy Bits. And so he broke down the difference between, you know, your unsafe buffer mutable pointers and your un- and your raw mutable and your raw regular pointers, and like all that stuff, and what the difference is. And so he kind of drew this like this three dimensional graph where it's basically. You know, there's three axes that it can be different. It can be either raw or typed. It can be either mutable or immutable, and it can be buffer or it can be regular. And so between those three components, if you mix and match all the different things, you get eight different pointer types. And he talked about what they're all good for, how to use them, how to work with them, how to allocate memory with them, all that kind of stuff. And I just, I learned a ton during that talk. And it was just a really concrete talk that like was exactly what I needed to learn about that stuff. Cool. And so that was maybe my favorite one, yeah. That's awesome, yeah. That's something that like, Clearly, a lot of design work went into that part of the Swift language, but it's not something that we really encounter in our day-to-day life as application developers, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's A lot of it is for C interop. So mm-hmm. if you want to work with a library that's that's written in C, you might need to work with some of those some of those APIs. But for the most part, you kind of just want to write a Swifty wrapper around that and then um, return values or return whatever, whatever Swifty thing that you actually like. Yeah, absolutely. 
Do you know if slides or videos from the from the conference are up yet? Uh, is there anything we can include in show notes yet? I know there are slides for we posted the slides in Slack, but I don't know if there was any public place where those their slides were also posted. Okay, um, but the talks will be out soon. I think Realm is doing the translation, so it'll be weeks to months before they're out. Yeah, so but it should be soon. Cool. So uh, that was Nate's talk. Uh, we'll try to find some useful documentation about that and put it in the show notes because I think that is something that is uh, interesting and kind of important to know about in Swift once you're getting uh, getting to be a more advanced Swift user. Uh, so w- that's Nate's talk. What else? Uh, wh- who else did you listen to? I'm scrolling through this list of, of people. There's just so many good ones. Um, Laura Ragone, who works at Meetup, gave a really good talk about um, accessibility and uh, specifically for colorblind users. And she basically went online and found a paper that discusses basically the mathematical transforms that you have to apply to a uh, color, like in terms of its red, green, blue values, to make it um, such that that's the person with like deuteranopia would see it as. And so... And then she open sources as well. And so basically you can take a color and you can say like transform it with, you know, this particular type of colorblindness and it will spit back, back a color. And so you can apply that to your theme library and say like, okay, well, I have these themes and these colors. I'm going to apply this type of colorblindness to it and take a look at what my app like looks like to the, to those users. Cool. So for example, the meetup app had like a screen where it was like a red badge on a green like nav bar or something like that. And a really angry user wrote in, like, I can't see this. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person and I use your app and I can't read this because it's red on green and I have red green colorblindness. And so that mm. forced them to kind of take it really seriously and think about it. And so she did all this research and like went into the, to the literature and, and, uh, and academic work and like basically open source this library that will do these transformations for you, which is so cool. Yeah, that's really awesome. Uh, another cool one, um, there was a couple of Swift on the server ones. Kyle Fuller gave a talk um, about uh, writing Swift on the server. Did Kyle focus on any specific server-side framework or any specific t- like tooling, or was it a more general talk? For those of our listeners that don't know Kyle, he is very intense about making very small open-source libraries that do lots of different things. And so he, of course, has his own Swift framework for running a web server. And he calls his Frank, which I think is a joke, like Frank Sinatra, Sinatra the Ruby library for um, making uh. making web servers with light, light <laughs> one. So that's a pretty good joke. And so it kind of goes into how Frank works and showing a type, uh, type safe, um, interface for routing. And he like figured out this cool thing that I, I totally haven't, I haven't, I don't totally understand yet, but basically like at passing an operator as a parameter to a function. So basically if you want to match, you know, users slash ID, you can do like pass in, it's like a very, a function that takes a variadic, um, number of, of properties and you can pass in the string like users and then a comma and then um, just an asterisk and it knows that that asterisk I think it's like passing a closure because you can pass you know a function by reference from its operator and so it's like passing okay. that star function and based on the fact that that's a function um, it'll do different behavior it's wild so basically, you can use stars as like a, almost a, an identifier in the language. Interesting. Did that make any sense? I, I'm not sure that I totally followed uh, with this this verbal description. Uh, it's also 11:30 at night here, but <laughs> I will definitely take a look at this uh, 
take a look at his uh, at the framework here. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Ba- basically, it allows you to match like strings and the the asterisk operator to make um, kind of more descriptive paths. Cool. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a, it's a cool little trick. Um, and I think I understand how it works, but I'm not 100% sure on it. So that was really, really neat. Um, I had to dig into the code to like, kind of figure that one out. Cool. All right. That sounds that sounds really interesting. And uh, we'll have a link to that Frank uh, DSL for writing web applications in Swift in the show notes. Yeah, cool. Uh, two other really interesting ones. Um Agnish and Brandon Williams. I can't pronounce Agnish's last name, so I don't want to. I don't want to butcher it. Um, she taught us how to say it, and I got it, but then I forgot it. Um, they both work on the Functional Swift conference that is sometimes in Brooklyn and sometimes in Hungary. And uh, Brandon's uh, talk was basically bringing these terms from mathematics, so he called them effects and coeffects. And basically, the idea is if your function has effects or coeffects, then it is not pure. And if it's not pure, you can't really test the logic within it. And so he showed basically how to extract those side effecty components of your functions into their own thing, pass them as um, properties, and or pass them as, as parameters into your function, and then that will give you the ability to like fully test that function. Hmm, okay. So that was pretty interesting. Yeah. So one cool trick that he showed is like they use something called date protocol so that you can um, pass in an object that acts like a date. And uh, so obviously if you have a pure function and you use, you know, the date initializer that will use the current date. So every time you call that function, it's going to have a different value. And if it has a different value every time, it's really hard to know what its output is going to be. So what they did is they wrapped up um, date into its own protocol, and that way they can kind of inject a testing date that it would like always be the same. So they can okay. make sure to get deterministic output from each of their functions to make their functions basically more pure. Cool. Okay, yeah. that sounds really interesting, yeah. And and Agnish talked about um, basically reactive programming and uh Basically, it's benefits nice. and why it's good and, and how to use it. So they're big reactive Swift uh, fans. So that's the that's the one they use. You you mean reactive Swift, uh, not RX Swift, or do you mean RX right. Swift? I mean the reactive Cocoa people when right. they made okay. the Swift version of Library, they call it reactive Swift, right? Right. Well, it's what they call the Swift implementation of uh, the reactive uh sort of core like the implementation of signal and the various transformations right gotcha and that is still distinct from reactive cocoa which is your like cocoa bindings for that reactive core nice right right that makes sense um so you want to separate the ui parts from the like core of the thing right yeah or at least that's my understanding i'll double check this uh and we'll we'll put a link to both reactive swift and reactive cocoa in the show notes um and the there were a lot of great talks i just want to mention one more Summer uh, Panage, I'm not sure how to say her last name. Uh, She said it on stage, but I forgot. She basically gave a talk about how a lot of the idioms and things that we use in Objective-C don't translate so well to Swift. And so she kind of told these four stories uh, in sort of a a nursery rhyme kind of of way. Not nursery rhymes, but like bedtime stories. And they were about different Swift features that you could use to get more expressiveness out of things that you would normally do. So if you had a completion block that would normally have a uh, like a value or an error, and it would pass them both, and they would both be optional, she would kind of walk through in a really like kind of enlightening way that you know there are two invalid states here. One is where both of those 
variables are nil, and the other invalid state is where both of those variables have values. And so the way to solve this problem, of course, is to use an enum like the result type, which we mentioned on literally every episode of this podcast. <laughs> um, that, and that may literally be true. I, it honestly might be. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. And so she kind of broke that down. That was like one of the little fairy tales that she told. And she told several other stories about like refactoring this code and making it cleaner and nicer. And it was a, it was a really great talk. It was really like very functional, useful stuff. Awesome. Yeah. And that's something that's really useful to think about, right? As we move from, I mean, uh, writing Objective-C code bases to writing Swift code bases and maybe to using Objective-C and Swift in the same code base, it's very easy to end up writing basically Objective-C idioms, but in Swift. And it works out more nicely if you like really think about what you're writing and like don't bring across some of those uh, sharp edges or some of those almost anti-patterns from Objective-C into Swift. Right. You get a little bit tighter code if you use the Swifty features. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There are just fewer edge cases, right? right? Less pointy bits. You work with the language rather than working against the language, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or you let the language work for you in a way that Objective-C couldn't. Right, exactly. Exactly. And then that was, that was, um, Thursday and Friday were the talks at the conference. And then uh, Saturday was a hackathon, which was also really cool. So basically about 400 people, both uh, Japanese and foreign, basically all got together in a huge room and, uh, like hacked together projects in about seven hours. And we saw some cool ones. There were, um, there was a Finnish couple who made a cool Swift on a server app and a client side app in the seven hours, which was really fun. The winning one, um, there was a couple of other really cool projects. Uh, one was something to turn PBX project files into JSON so that you can diff them more easily and like understand them and maybe even like parse them and process them. Whoa. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Um, obviously it has to store a copy. Yeah. That's really interesting though. Yeah. They add it basically as a build phase. And so every time you build your project, it'll like regenerate this, um, this PBX project file, uh, dot JSON. And so that way you can just like really easily read it and really easily understand exactly what each bit means. And then, um, like diffing is much easier. And then like, pro- like for later processing is also super easy. So that was a cool project too. Yeah. Um, yeah, we judged, about 10% of the projects are our little judging team. And then all the projects went up and, and, uh, the, the 10 that won from each judging team, they went up and they kind of like were put to a more general vote. And the winning project was basically something that you could use Swift playgrounds with Lego Mindstorms. And so you could write commands in, uh, your playground and it would be executed on your little robots that would like drive around and do stuff, uh, oh, just from commands on your Swift playground, which was really dope. It was cool. That's a really cool use of playgrounds too, right? Like that ties in very nicely with Apple's uh, vision for playgrounds as a tool for uh, for education. Yeah, well, don't don't say that too loud, or, or Jason Brennan will hear you and he'll uh, he'll have a word with us. He'll send us a, a stern email. Jason, uh, I'll be in New York in a couple weeks, and I'm looking forward to seeing you. <laughs> Boom! There it is. I just want to close on a quick thing about the community that I really liked about this conference. Um, I've never been to East Asia before. I've I've pretty much only been to conferences in Europe and America. And while I was there, we sort of hold office hours or like open like a little area where you can talk to the speaker after their talk. And I was helping some people with some coordinator stuff, helping some people with some sequence stuff. Um, the translators also came to this like uh, office hours session. So they were like the um, native Japanese speakers were able to like communicate with us and like ask us questions, which was also super cool. I've never... That's like, really great. Yeah, tried to teach code stuff through uh, an interpreter. And it was like definitely a very surreal experience. But one of the coolest things that happened was uh, two uh, two Chinese uh, guys came up and they were like, hey, 
we and they and they told me their names and they gave me their cards and they said that you know we're the team that's been translating your articles into Chinese. And um, I had gotten an email about this. They kind of asked permission, hey, can we translate your articles? And I said, yeah, of course. And they like really thanked me. They were like, the you know you're doing a uh, we're, like a good thing is being done for the community here. And um, they told me that they're having a conference in Shenzhen as well. And so, like, they're like, maybe you could come to Shenzhen. I was like, I would love to come to Shenzhen. Uh, oh, it was just cool. so cool. And and they were like, the person who normally translates your articles couldn't make it. Uh, she, like, couldn't travel. But, like, we really do appreciate the work you do. And I, like, I was like, I appreciate the work that you do. And it was just, like, a really cool moment of, like, I don't know when else I would have gotten to meet these guys. But it was just such a nice, like, chance to, like, I don't know, connect with some people that I normally would never meet in real life. It was just really nice. Yeah, that's really nice. Isn't that great? That is a, exactly the right word for it, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe we'll do a podcast about a conference in Shenzhen sometime soon. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. There was lots of lots of really great community stuff, great people out here. It's just really nice to, you know, nice to see everybody and nice to, you know, talk to, talk to so many people about Swift and about, like, programming. And yeah, so that's basically what Japan has been like. I'm here for another couple of days, and then I head back to New York, back to real life. Yeah, and so uh, a couple weeks after you get back to New York, I will be in New York for work, and uh, I think we'll probably record at least one episode in person there. Yeah, that'll be great. It'll be really good to see you. Yeah, it'll be great to see you too. Yeah. Cool. Sweet. Well, as always, Chris, it was great to catch up with you. Great to catch up with you. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you in uh, two weeks.